0: i mm-hmm. Episode 12 of the ROK Podcast. Hi! How are ya? It's been a long time. We have been busy, busy, busy. Ken has moved back to Canada to be with his family. I have been in Cambodia and Thailand, and James has been. Uh James. In this episode, Ken has the pleasure of speaking with legendary guitar player Steve Vai. I'm talking about Slim Harpos. Uh, biography blues king b of baton rouge and to cap things off james and ken uh debate the best guitar riffs of the 1980s uh listen people i'm not gonna dick around let's just get to it steve Vai.
1: that's steve Vai. what a nice little boy Hey, folks. This is Steve Vine. You're listening to the ROK podcast.
2: So it's all—it's about peace and love and good happiness stuff.
3: How are things going?
1: Great. Really good. I'm. I'm... Getting ready to go out uh, Friday. We leave Friday for uh, Asia for Generation Axe tour. I'm very excited about that. And then when I get home, I get about a week, a couple weeks, and then I'm off to South America, Mexico, and Puerto Rico.
3: Wow, you're a busy guy.
1: Yep. That's the life of a musician.
3: <laughs> I guess it could be worse. Um, you're heading out to Korea.
1: Yeah, yeah, we're going to be in Korea. Uh,
3: April 9th. That's fantastic. You've been there before.
1: Oh, yeah, many times. I Not mean, many, but enough.
3: Enough. Well, you know, I started this uh, this site in Korea. I'm now in Canada, but yeah. what do you remember about Korea and what do you like about it? And give me some details about the last time you were there and what you got to do and see.
1: Well, I, I can give you details about the uh, the various times i was there i remember that better
3: <laughs> that's perfect
1: uh, one of the one of the crazy amazing things about korea is the way the fans react at concerts they're very engaged with what the um, artists are doing for instance if i if i'm touring in the states or europe people will sit and they'll, they'll watch the songs and then at the end they'll clap and if something they see during the song they like, they might give a shout or something. But in Korea, they, they just like follow every note. And if, if it's a cool riff, they just go crazy. You know, it's really fun. It's just so much fun to play to a Korean audience. And um, I've always been a fan of uh, Asian food, you know, and oh. I, I always look forward to visiting... Uh, restaurants in Korea and uh, usually when I'm there I don't have so much time to go exploring uh, into the country or the city Uh, but I do get a chance to go out around the areas that I'm at and uh, it's a completely different culture really than western culture but the people there's, there's more similarities
2: in the actual people themselves, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, uh,
1: Sort of, um, well, this is something that I've noticed traveling for many years, 37 years I've been touring, and uh, for many years, I I didn't pay attention to anything. I just thought, okay, now I'm in Europe, now I'm in Japan, now I'm in Australia. I didn't really put my attention into the culture and the the people until later. You know, maybe it was a slow process where I started to identify the different uh, cultural diversities, like the food, the clothing, the architecture. You know, I, I love architecture, but I never really focused the um, uh, uh, the the uh, energy from the people. You know, right. every city that you go, there's a collective energy field, so to speak. The same thing happens when you're sitting in your home. You're sitting in your room by yourself. It's one thing, if the person comes in, there's a different kind of energy in the room, and then if you've got five people and everybody's thinking a particular way, it creates a different kind of collective. And if you've got a whole city like that, and this collective translates into a country, into um, parts of the world. So you can feel what a, what a civilization is like just by being very perceptive of the atmosphere. And I never really focused on any of that for years. But when I started to, it really um, gave me a completely different experience whenever I would travel. Things, certain things became familiar to me from, uh, from, in various cultures. One of the things that I, I was, I'm able to do, and I don't know how, but, and I never thought that I'd ever be able to do something like this, but I can almost look at somebody just by the, their bone structure, you know, in their face, their skin, uh, shades, various shades, or uh, and I can pretty much know where they're from. I could actually sometimes see photos of various places around the world that don't necessarily have identifiable elements in them. And I know, I know where the picture was uh, taken. I know what, well, I, sh- I shouldn't say I know what country it was. And this is all just from being very perceptive. And then one of the things I really started to do pretty intensely about 10 or so years ago, I would just look at people And I would just watch them very carefully without creating any kind of thought in my head about them. Because many times when you travel away from your comfort zone, meaning away from the city that you know and the people you know, and you meet people that are completely different or look very different, there's an immediate tendency to kind of create an identity for that person in your own head. Huh, sure. And, you know, whether they're whatever their political situation is, the kind of clothes they're wearing, the way that they laugh, you know, the color of their skin, their height, their hair, all of these things we look at and we create an identity. But in reality what I what I discovered from just staring at people very carefully, it's just the outer identity. <laughs> you know, it, it's not really the person, you know. Right. So uh, when you start actually meeting people from around the world and talking to them without thinking you know who they are, you find out that they're all the same. And they're all amazing, you know, and, and incredible. I've really learned to love people um, by touring all these years. I, I, I really love people. <laughs> and I, I just so much enjoy going out into the world and seeing them, just watching them. I don't necessarily have to interact all the time. Um, and Korea is, is a wonderful opportunity because there's such a diversity. Uh, and there's such a unique kind of footprint in the uh, in the collective energy of Korea. Very, it's kind of dense. It's very energetic. It moves kind of quick. There's also a very spiritual side to it And that's what I remember I can't really tell you I know that might not be a very satisfying answer What a lot of people want to hear is Oh, one time I was visiting
3: <laughs> Well, no, actually that was uh, much more than I was expecting I That was fantastic I'm glad you like uh, doing that kind of stuff I'm the same way Watching people is my favorite thing to do It's amazing Absolutely So let's talk about this tour Everyone knows you've been doing this for a while with Generation X, and uh, I wanted to try and ask some questions that maybe you haven't had before, so here I go. The four guys you picked, what surprised you the most when you got jamming with them? And, uh, you know, we all know they're great players, but what, what kind of struck you when you first started getting together with these guys?
1: How intent they were on making the big picture something extraordinary.
3: And what was the big picture?
1: Five guys coming together and doing their thing individually, but then playing together as a cohesive group and playing parts that are organized that sound amazing together and transcending the cachet of any individual player and creating a uh, powerful statement with all five of us. I mean, we—they saw the wisdom in what we were doing, and it became—it became very important to them. They—they they got it, and and they were really supportive. Everybody was very supportive of each other. It was kind of a miracle because you know, in a tour like that, you write that down on paper and you look at it, and people start running for the hills. You know,
2: <laughs> yeah,
3: <laughs>
1: like you ain't gonna pull the, It's like you're not gonna be able to pull this off. by. You cannot get these guys who are crazy, they're we're all crazy, you know, crazy musicians, everybody knows, <laughs> and, you know, who have reputations for being intense, to travel on a tour bus together, to play music together, to play the parts that you want them to play, and uh, that's exactly what happened. And at first, sure, there was, there was some rough spots, you know?
3: Well, of course.
1: Yeah, but... I don't think I've ever been on a tour, well, no, I, uh, I've never been on a tour, where I felt a tighter and more balanced, amazingly beautiful camaraderie amongst the people by the end of the tour. There's mutual respect that, uh, you know, like on my tours, we have a great time, we love each other, we're like a family. Uh, my band, for the most part, has been, to- been together for almost 20 years, you know? Yeah. Um, So we're just naturally happy. But uh, I think the thing that made the Generation X tour so special was because we got over our differences and we really rose to the occasion of accepting each individual player for exactly who they are and what they do without criticizing it, but actually supporting it, knowing full well that that uniqueness in them is going to add to the diversity of the show in a way that's going to make this show something that you just won't see any Christ And that's what we're doing.
3: Yeah, I've seen clips, and it's just incredible when the five of you guys get together at the end of the show. Yeah. It's, it's just magic. Nice. <laughs> How did you pick these four guys? Why these four?
1: Well, in the beginning, I got this idea many, many years ago. And originally, I thought, how cool would it be to put uh, one backing band and five female guitarists on the road and let them, you know, I I thought that would be great. But I never pulled that together. And then I thought, I'd love to do it. It was just on the shelf. And then I got a call from Miles Copeland. And he asked me if I'd be interested in doing a sort of like a guitar festival tour. And I've done so many of those. I just, you know, I like to try different things. And the G3 thing was is, was and is very nice, and but it's very different. You know, with G3, there's guys that uh, do their set, and then they leave the stage, and another band comes in, and they, they leave the stage, and then we do jams at the end. Right. So that's great. But this was different. You know, I wanted to have a cohesive kind of a show where there's no breaks. You get this diversity, one right after the other, and then you get organized really cool intense guitar parts what what was the original question actually
3: (laughs) i just asked how did you pick these four guys
1: Oh, okay so then i thought a tour like this i could i could be genre specific so i wrote a list of various genres rock metal blues fusion and uh, that's about the extent of my ability to contribute those, into those genres. I, I can work in those genres. If it was jazz or classical, I probably wouldn't fare very well. <laughs> <laughs> so then I wrote my favorite guitar players within these genres. So, you know, the fusion genre is very different than the metal, and it was different than the rock, and it was different than the blues. So then I looked at this list with all these names. And I thought, which would I like to do first? And I picked the medal. And the guys that were at the top of my list were the guys that jumped on board. It was remarkable. Everybody that I wanted was interested in doing it. Wow. How lucky was I? Huh?
3: <laughs> so lucky. So my, uh, another, another thing that is kind of interesting to me is how you can go from doing a two-hour set on your own tours, and then with Generation Axe, you've got to cut it down to four or five songs how do you how do you choose what's right for that moment well it's easy is it
1: given a set of parameters yeah you're given a set of parameters some of the shows originally i was hoping that everybody could do like a 30 to 40 minute set and then you know add to it the ensemble pieces right and that that's pretty much you know some guys go longer, some guys shorter, I, I, my set is usually like 30 minutes, because I, I know that I wanted to get up there, and I, I only had time for 30 minutes, say, 40 minutes, so I look at all my songs, and I think, okay, what what is the best slice of buy that I can offer here that shows the various sides of me, so on the first tour, I opened the, my show with uh, Building the Church, I thought that was pretty powerful and has some, some tricks in it and stuff people get a kick out of. And then we did uh, Racing the World, Gravity Storm, and Tender Surrender. Because all those songs together kind of have a, uh, they kind of give you a good idea of what I'm about. But uh, on this show I changed out um, building the church with Bad Horsey.
2: Oh, nice.
1: I I played that on my last tour, and I just, my God, I uh, love playing that song. I feel 10, 20 feet tall. Wow.
3: So, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know you're super busy, but, uh, yeah, I'm I'm very upset that when I was in Korea, you played in Ottawa, Canada, and I couldn't see you, and now I'm in Ottawa, Canada, and you're playing in Korea. So, uh, I won't get to see it this time. So we're gonna have to wow. get, have to get you up here again at some point, point. and congratulations on the 25th anniversary of uh, Passion and Warfare.
1: Thank you, thank you. It's more like tw- almost 28 now.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long tour, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. Because I had uh, it was gonna be the you know I was gonna release it actually on the 25th anniversary, but then I had this idea to put this record Modern Primitive in there, and this record is my favorite record I ever made. I gotta tell you, it's that I started to record or wrote before Passion and Warfare it's like the missing link between my first solo record Flexible and Passion and Warfare and for Vive fans they, they're, they're, they really like it
3: oh it's fantastic
1: it's quirky it's experimental well it's not experimental I don't experiment
3: um, yeah, it's just good it's, rock and roll music
1: yeah well yeah. I don't even know if it's rock and roll but <laughs> chance to hear it it's pretty wild
3: it is pretty wild so that tour is going to go for a while, and then uh, another CD at some point, soon. Oh
1: yeah, we'll see what happens. I'm uh, I've got the Generation X tour, and then I'm going to South America with Passion and Warfare and Mexico and Puerto Rico. I got this really cool event in Norway. It's Starmus Convention. It's a four-day convention of some of the of the greatest scientists in the world. They have like ten Nobel laureates, three astronauts, and it's the 75th anniversary celebration of Stephen Hawking so they he'll be there and they'll have uh, a medal ceremony and I'll be playing with the orchestra wow the medal ceremony and I'm doing one of my shows and then I'll be speaking I speak for about a half an hour
2: wow
3: that, um, you've hit the big time <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I know right that's Out crazy of this
1: world literally
3: seriously yeah <laughs> Well, listen, I wish you all the best of success and I hope you uh, have a great time in Korea and uh, Japan and South America and just keep rocking. This was an absolute pleasure.
1: All right. Well, I appreciate it. Sorry you'll miss the gig, but uh, thanks for...
3: I'll, I'll catch you at some point. I'll, I'll see you sometime for all right. sure. All
2: right. Bye-bye.
0: this episode of the ROK Podcast, I'm talking about Slim Harpo's biography, King Bee of Baton Rouge by Martin Hawkins. Check it out. Well, I'm a king bee, buzzing around
1: your eye. Well, I'm a king bee, buzzing around your eye.
2: And I can make honey baby. Let me come inside.
0: I'm young and able to buzz all night now. Slim Harpo was an American blues musician and a leading exponent of the swamp blues style. His most successful and influential recordings included I'm a King Bee, which you heard on the intro, Rainin' in My Heart, and Baby Scratch My Back, which reached number 1 on the R&B chart and number 16 on the US Pop chart. In this biography, British blues scholar Martin Hawkins takes a passionate and almost encyclopedic take on Slim's career, bringing Harpo to life by tracing the events that curated his remarkable rise. To the legend he is known today. Um, this book covers the rich central Louisiana blues scene to gigs at the Fillmore East with deep local researched and detailed portraits of the singer's peers, sidemen, and record business associates. I read this while I was on vacation in Cambodia and Thailand this past February and it really opened my eyes to a world that I knew existed but wasn't that familiar with. Even though, if you're, if you're not a big fan of the blues, uh, but are interested, I'd highly recommend this. This, uh, this goes over well with those who do not know, such as myself, much about the blues, uh, historically about the blues. Um, everything you need to know about Harpo is in this book. Uh, I highly recommend it. You can pick it up on Amazon. Uh, it is available for, uh, on Kindle Uh, Yeah, get out there, check it out. Slim Harpo. Dig it.
2: Well, when you hear me buzzing, baby, some stinging is going on.
1: Well, buzz a while.
0: Sting it, then.
1: I'm a king
4: bee. Want you to be my queen. Jeez Ken, what 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 uh, decade are we going to be talking about today?
3: My favorite decade.
4: Your favorite decade, many people's favorite decade, the most difficult decade to
3: Lots make. of hair.
4: Lots of hair, lots of glitter, lots, lots of, of rock and
3: roll. <laughs> you call it cheese, I call it rock and roll.
4: One man's cheese is another man's... <laughs> rock. That's it. Um, yeah, welcome back everybody. Uh, yep. R.O.K. OK podcast is finally getting around to tackling the top <laughs> ten riffs um, by decade, and we are in the... 80s we're in the 80s which uh, is Is hard really really hard and uh, (laughs) we we could have done a top 100 list and and still Still missed stuff still missed stuff as it was in the last 10 minutes we scribbled down just a few (laughs) of what we think are the signature riffs
3: and i know we're leaving lots of stuff out and i know oh yeah this one was tough
4: but remember the rules um we've already done the 60s and 70s once we have named an artist once, we cannot na- name them again in subsequent decades.
3: That's right. So there's no Van Halen. No
4: Van Halen. No
3: ZZ Top. No We've ZZ already Top. done them. Yep. Um, so everybody on this list is new uh, to, the, to the countdown. I think we did a good job...
4: Uh, some of them... It's impossible to please, but remember too, the parameters are also representative riffs. It's not necessarily the ones that were the greatest, or the rockinest, but ones that, when you hear it, you are transported back into that time when MTV was just... Well, when MTV was still playing music videos. Um, (laughs) When it
3: was music (laughs) music TV. TV, uh, And uh, we should note that uh, we opened this... Edition with uh, Gary Newman, Cars. He didn't make our top ten list, but he was number eleven.
4: Yeah, and what a great riff! Oh, Uh, fantastic! You know, again, not a little bit outside of the of the the sort of rock uh, that we normally concentrate on. Hey, a riff's a riff. A riff is a riff. Yeah. Um, This next, well, number ten, we're going to start with with a band that's no stranger to uh, rock all time lists. Uh, See if you can identify this one. Fucking gold.
3: Absolute gold.
4: That is, of course, the mighty Judas Priest. Oh. And, uh, again, when we're talking about 80s riffs, we could pretty much go through all the, at least the early Judas Priest 80s albums. And oh, sure. Take your pick, but... Sure. that Sure. Living was
3: After Midnight.
4: Living After Midnight off that same album. Anything yep. off of Screaming for Vengeance or... Uh, Defenders, Defenders of, of the, the Faith. faith. Sure. sure. To me, what makes that riff, though, and I'm a little biased... Is uh, the killer Ian Hill bass chugga chugga. Oh,
3: you gotta love Ian Hill.
4: That that backs it up underneath. Uh, I think
3: what makes it so special for me is how simple it is. Yeah. Three notes, right? Dom, 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 doom, doom, doom. It's just so simple and so powerful. Um, and, you know, Mr. No Phil uh, drummer. <laughs> I don't even remember the name of the drummer at that time, but. He didn't know how to do anything except one, two, three, four, but that's it worked all you need.
4: perfectly. That's, that's all you need. I yeah. mean, I, I think metal, especially in the early 80s, was sort of getting that punk ethos and, and not trying to blow people away with uh, the pyrotechnics, just, yeah. just putting the pedal to the metal.
3: Yeah, it was just Judas Priest at their finest, that album. And even really if you was. disagree
4: with, with, with that particular choice, uh, uh, you have to include any top ten riffs of the 80s has to include Judas Priest.
3: Absolutely. Uh, or, well, you could put them in the 70s as well, but... Well, well um, yeah, we chose them for the 80s. But we chose 80s. them for the 80s. But, oh, remember, <laughs> we, last time we did end with a Judas Priest That was our intro-outro. That's our right. way of cheating... Victim of Changes, yeah. that, that,
4: That's our way of cheating around only having ten choices.
3: We, <laughs> we get to add a couple more. Yeah,
4: it was either yeah. that or an honorable mention list that would... Go on forever. Go on forever. So anyway, let's
3: let's move on here. All right, we're gonna move on to number nine.
4: nine. How eighties is that?
3: About as 80s as you get. About
4: as 80s as you can get. Driving around in my friend's car <laughs> with my 365 and U2 was... Uh... 360. <laughs> <laughs> now, we, we left out there the...
3: Which could have been one of the top riffs as well. But we just thought that intro was...
4: That's a great riff. What, what it's all, all about. Itself, And U2 was such an influential band. And often associated with the 80s because they had so many huge albums. And they also had huge albums to this day. Um, Well, sure, yeah. You know, 90s is my favorite U2 era. A lot of people don't like U2, but again, we're talking representative, you know, this is the sign of the times. Um, What you would get out of a time capsule from the 1980s, you get something by U2, and I think that's their their best song from that decade.
3: Not just best song, just... Best, best riff Best riff
4: Yeah, absolutely Oh, it's absolutely.
3: fantastic I mean, there's not much you can say about it Other, other than Yeah It's a great riff Yep, yep. Simple as that yep. And the whole song is a riff The whole song you is know, a You we, know, we didn't want to play the whole song Um but, I don't think
4: U2 would allow us to anyway. No, we'd
3: probably get sued. I think if you keep it under <laughs> under 10 seconds, it's legal. <laughs> so we kept it under... That'd
4: be cool to get sued by U2,
3: though. No, it wouldn't. No, not at all. Not at all. I'd be paying that off for the rest of my life. Um, great riff, great song, great band, and... Very 80s. <laughs> so 80s. So 80s. Love it. Oh, man, I like old U2.
4: We, we should do another top ten of, like, top synth riffs from the 80s and g- oh get God. some of those pop bands. Oh, my God.
3: What was that song called? I think we're alone now.
4: <laughs> I know a cover band in Day who does that.
3: Yeah, they were pretty good. <laughs> they didn't do that version, though. Anyway, um, Sunday Bloody Sunday by U2. And now we're moving on to number eight.
4: But and we're staying in the top 40 zone. And you guys and women should know this Baby.
3: yeah if you don't know this one then there's something wrong with you and it's also normally this would not be uh, a rocker but this song is definitely a rocker definitely so here we go number eight <laughs>
4: Beautiful. beautiful. For those of you who don't know, uh, that is Michael Jackson beat it, and I heard he had a pretty good session guitar player on that one.
3: Not on that part, though. No? no. Okay. Well, yes, he did, but that's not who you're thinking of. Oh, ah, okay. The guitar solo was Eddie Van Halen.
4: Who was the that wicked riff that defines a generation?
3: Do you remember the song Africa? The Toto's. The <laughs> guitar player on that was uh That's right. Steve Lukather from That's Toto. Right. Yeah, yeah, they
4: were serious. He was uh, a LA. massive
3: session guy. Right, and right. uh he did this and he did Billie Jean as well. Now
4: wait a second, on the video wasn't it Eddie Van Halen doing the whole thing or
3: I don't think he was in the video. Oh, okay. I don't think Eddie was in the video. Okay. There's again this
4: thing. is the eighties talking, about right. here. who was in the video, that was an Remember important concern. Remember the videos? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah.
3: yeah. But um yeah, not your typical rocker. Michael Jackson But this song was And a uh, great riff And we actually we actually had a fist fight Me yes, and James About whether we should put Beat It or Billie Jean
4: Billie Jean having that wicked bass riff But, but of
3: course I won because bass is not as important that's as That's right, guitars. yeah Bass, so,
4: bass gets uh, thrown to the background Along with, who was that drummer from Judas Priest?
3: That guy, No Phil <laughs> Yeah um, No, but seriously uh, what was this, 83, 84 yeah. thriller? Yeah. I mean, there's never been a more iconic album yep. made, ever. Regardless of whether you like that style, regardless of whether he I think molested I've, children later, it doesn't I, I, matter, I this Michael was an Jackson's amazing album.
4: musical genius is pretty universally recognized. Absolutely. And, uh, yep. um, certainly the 1980s was his, his heyday. Did you know anybody who had those crazy Michael Jackson leather jackets?
3: No, but I did know a girl at school who had one glove. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, she and it was sparkly. That's cool. I don't know her name, that's but cool. I remember her walking, and I was a metalhead. Yeah. And I used to laugh at her, saying, ha, ha, ha. And as I grew up, I realized how good Michael Jackson was. And her, that, her
4: one sparkly glove was just as cool as your Iron Maiden t-shirt. No, it wasn't.
3: <laughs> Nothing was as cool as my Iron Maiden t-shirt. Nothing.
4: Speaking of Iron Maiden...
3: Yeah, man, we're moving on. We're we're making this a quick one. Let's Um, move to
4: number six.
3: Numbers really? Seven. Seven. Stupid white man. I, I
4: feel guilty. I
3: do. Bruce Dickinson makes me feel guilty for feel being a white guilty. man. I'm sorry. Because the white man came across the sea and brought pain and misery. And
4: heavy fucking metal.
3: Oh, God. We were just, you know, as we were listening to that, we were just, uh, James brought up the remark, listen to that fucking bass. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah, Steve Harris.
4: Amazing stuff. Yeah. And all of Iron Maiden stuff, again, especially in the 80s. Yeah,
3: we had a fist fight about this one, too, because we it could have put be, Number I mean, of the Beast on there. There's uh, so many, so well, many. Every I, song.
4: This was uh, probably their most defining, iconic song, but hey, if you disagree, come at us. Let us know. Um, yeah, I really uh, liked all, everything from Power Slave as well.
3: Power Slave was brilliant. Two Minutes yeah. to Midnight, and Ace is High, but... Oh. Run- this one and, and uh, Number of the Beast. Yeah, if you don't know, that was Run to the Hills Run by to the Iron Hills, Maiden yeah. from the Number of the Beast album. And uh, yeah, we probably could have picked eight songs from that album and put them on this list. And the
4: amazing thing about Maiden is they were doing you know 300-day tours, going straight into the studio, making albums like Number of the Beast, Peace of Mind, Power Slave, Back onto the Road. It just doesn't happen that way anymore. Yeah. No,
3: impossible. You know, and before Bruce was in the band, they had two solid albums Killers well.
4: is, is actually my favorite.
3: Killers and Iron yeah. Maiden were both fantastic albums. Yeah. Riff Rock and... Uh, oh, Cla- Iron Maiden. And, th-
4: and this is a classic example for me. I was just, I think, in middle school when they were doing the Power Slave tour. And I, I didn't actually know Iron Maiden. They just had the cool shirts with... Cool cool album covers, yeah. And I got a hold of some tickets, and I thought, heck, I'm going to go and... See what this is all about, and I left there a convert.
3: Yeah, I saw that tour as well with Twisted uh, Sister. Twisted, Sister. Yeah, Twisted yeah.
4: Sister opening up.
3: Yeah,
4: um, that was <laughs> glorious.
3: Yeah, it was fantastic, and I've seen them many times since in many different countries, and I will go see them again. In fact, I just read that they're going to tour again this summer. Are they coming to Korea? No, they're doing. They'll never come to Korea again. <laughs> there Four thousand people here when they came. Seriously, it was embarrassing. Oh, um, no, they're doing a North American tour um, in July and August, I think. So good for them. Up keep the it, irons, keep
4: keeping it going, keeping it going. Yeah, again, hey, uh,
3: James. Yeah. What number are we on now? I, I do believe
4: we are at number six. Are you sure? No, but I'll uh, I'll go with that one. Anyway. Let's go
3: with number 6 on this one. Here we go, number 6. upon a time. Oh boy. That's, Not so long ago. The, the, bon Jovi had a good career. The,
4: the smell of hairspray in the morning makes me think of victory.
3: Man oh man. But you know we were just talking again. We like to do that while the song is playing. Um, there are so many elements to that. The bass riff. The bass riff. The talk box.
4: I want to do any, any song with the talk box from now on. Talk what else band. had Talk
3: box. Kickstart My Heart had Talk box. Oh my Talk God, box. yeah. Talk box
4: we, we missed in the 1970s Peter Frampton. Peter
3: Frampton. And oh, we did get some in, though, on the last one with uh, Aerosmith. That's true. That's, That's true. It's emotion. But and, anyway, this song. And then it's got the keyboard. Da, 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 and it's got John doing his what's up on his side. And
4: it's working class American. Yeah.
3: What was the guy's and name? Tommy. Tommy and, and Gina or Tina. Tommy. They had a
4: tough time. Yeah, it was a rough life. They hung out and they rock and rolled.
3: Yeah, and they persevered. And I think they've been in three Bon Jovi songs.
4: Tommy and... Tommy and... Elena or whatever it what? name is. <laughs> Billie Jean, I don't know. <laughs> whatever.
3: But yeah, they've been in a whole bunch of different... Uh, well, yeah, recurring characters in the Bon Jovi in, discography. They're,
4: they're going to be partners with bon, John Bon Jovi when he buys an <laughs> NFL team.
3: <laughs> is he going to buy an NFL team? He will
4: eventually, yeah.
3: See the riff... Made him so rich he could buy an NFL team.
4: And good point, Ken. That riff is money. Gold. I mean, that made his his entire career... But,
3: you know, the more I listen to that bass riff at the beginning, I think of Billie Jean. Yeah, yeah. It's almost the same bass riff. Absolutely, absolutely. But that talk box was great. The hair was great. I mean, they redefined a generation. They started that hair metal thing. That was
4: stadium rock galore.
3: Yeah, I saw that tour. Opening for... Our number 10 artist. ha uh-huh. I saw them open for Judas Priest wow. on this tour before they. it got really How big. did that go over? Not well.
4: Yeah, I, I don't Not imagine, because well. Bon Jovi, although they were often lumped in with the metal the metal audience, and a lot of metal has loved them, they were never really heavy metal.
3: But that was right around the time Judas Priest was doing their hair metal thing, right. too, with Turbo. Right. right? So, uh, I'm guessing that was about 85, 86, Mid-80s, give or take. Yeah. And... Uh, didn't go over well, but then about two weeks later It exploded. You give Love a Bad Name was released as a single and they were playing And stadiums Bon Jovi's the
4: biggest selling live artist in the world now.
3: He Are might be. Yeah. He's one of them. We'd have yeah. to
4: we'd have to confirm that. Yeah. But Thirty years ago, we don't confirm anything. Nah, nah, we're just we just sh- make we're, we're just the sh-
3: we're the fake news of we're rock and roll. <laughs> John Bon Jovi is not only the biggest rock star in the world; he's the greatest musician of all time, and,
4: and he's the richest next to Paul
3: McCartney. We know that. Oh, he's got more money than McCartney. Yeah, come on, McCartney's. A-
4: Yeah, McCartney's retired now
3: McCartney (laughs) is so good that he's not allowed on any of our top ten lists
4: Did we have a Beatles? We had a Beatles in the 60s Right, That's right
3: We we said no Beatles because they would be all ten
4: It's like the Gretzky rule in in, in 1980s hockey pools No Michael Jordan
3: in your NBA pool That's it That's right in but, the nineteen eighties. See, everything was eighties. That's right. Great John decade. Bon
4: Jovi would have been a first round draft pick though for top riffs because he <laughs> did a whole bunch, man.
3: Yeah, he'd have been the scoring leader every year. I'm sure <laughs> he scored a lot in the eighties. <laughs> anyway, we're we're moving on. John Bon Jovi rocked back then. He did I, I haven't listened to a Bon Jovi song in probably twenty years. I'm sure it's the
4: same yeah, same, the same sort stuff, of thing. But
3: yeah. um that song had everything you needed. Yeah. Great guitar solo too. Yeah. Absolutely
4: and too. definitive.
3: Oh, for sure. Alright, let's move on. I think we're on number five. Five. Here we go. Yeah, that was, yeah. We we actually turned the volume up on that one so it could be even louder than it should be, but wow.
4: I'm going to have to run to the bathroom and change my shorts. <laughs> oh my
3: God. What is wrong with that riff? And if anyone listening right now disagrees that that should not be one of the top riffs of the 80s, I'll, well, yeah, just send it's us impossible. a message. It's impossible. It's impossible. It's perfect. impossible
4: not to uh, talk about guitar rock music in the 80s and not have... Something from Love at First Thing. We were discussing this earlier. Scorpions Love at First Thing. Where do you start? Bad Boys Running Wild, Big City Nights. Well, you know what? Mm-hmm. Rocky Like a Hurricane. I think that was a pretty easy choice. But
3: yeah, and and it's kind of like when Kennedy got shot. Everyone remembers where they were the first time they heard that <laughs> rhythm. Not only that, but. That was the smoke on the water of the 80s. Absolutely. That was the first song people learned how to play that. I mean, no one could ever play the solo, but you could get that, that riff and it's like, I can play a Scorpion and, 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 song.
4: Yep, this is not a solo, a solo list, this is a riff list, and that is a monster. We should do a solo list sometime. Yes, I think we should.
3: It'd have to be the top 2,000 of but, each decade.
4: Yeah, we couldn't do it by decade.
3: No, it was just... No, yeah, it's been done to death, we're not going to do that <laughs> We could do the worst solos of all time, that would be good This one would definitely not be on that definitely list Definitely not,
4: not oh, be on man. that the Scorpions and never had a bad guitar solo
3: No, they've never hit a wrong note, all their guitars, who did they have? They had Uli, mm-hmm. they had Michael Schenker, and then they had Matthias Yeah. This is Matthias I, and,
4: and I remember you said, where did you first see these guys? I saw these guys on TV playing the old Us Festival
3: that's right, In with hand. Judas Priest and yeah. Motley Crue and Van Halen. Yeah, I can't
4: remember if it was on MTV or Much Music. I don't yeah. really think Much Music exists. No, I think then. that was
3: MTV. Yeah. Oh man, they were so good. I've seen them a, a bunch of times, and they never disappoint. Yeah. Close minor.
4: Yeah. You people, you really know how to party.
3: He's still loving you.
4: Oh, he. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and he's probably still rocking like a hurricane. I'm still... I love the Scorpions. Lonesome Crow to. Okay, I haven't listened to their names. <laughs> but Lonesome Crow until everything s- that I've ever heard. I've, I kind of stopped. I,
4: I got into them for this album. I liked Worldwide Live, and uh, I can't remember what comes after that. I'm, Savage I'm, Amusement. Uh, Savage Amusement. I remember the that title. That was a good one. And then I
3: kind of, yeah, me too, I, I kind of lost interest. Lost but ideas. if I if I was to ever see Matthias, I would just bow to him and well, say, Well, they're hey, still, they're still playing. They sure are. Yeah. And uh, Michael- Rudolph Schenker and Matthias... What is it, Jabs or Yabs? I don't know. Matthias Jabs. Yeah, but he's German, so it might be Yabs.
4: I think it's Jabs. Is it Jabs?
3: I think so. But Matthias, I, I Mathias, give us a call, man. Yeah, I would love like to, to shoot to the shit with you about this solo and how long it took you to learn that one. Because I've been practicing it for 30 years and I still can't come close. No way, no
4: way. But I, Rudolph,
3: I got the rhythm. <laughs> I can I can handle your rhythm and I like that about you <laughs> I love the scorpions
4: didn't Rudolph's older brother Michael just pen a very angry autobiography of source? Yeah I guess they
3: really hate each other now yeah. it's oh. kind of like the new oasis
4: oh really wow
3: yeah something about uh Money. Rudolph Rudolph stole everything from Michael including like the flying V that he's so famous for right. he stole that that look from uh Michael Shanker all the riffs it's all Michael. Never Rudolph. That's what Michael said.
4: That's his side of the That's story. His, his, his yeah, story. Yeah. I haven't
3: heard Rudolph's side, so who knows. But yeah. I love Rudolph, I love Matthias, I love Michael Shanker too. And but, the scorpions, man. And everything about the scorpions. Yeah. And if you really, really don't know much about the scorpions, go back a few years. Check out those
4: album covers from the 1970s, too. Animal
3: Magnetism is a good one, and Love Drive, and uh, Lonesome Crow. Don't go to Virgin Killer. I hope they changed that album cover, because that's a nasty one.
4: I think they had to, yeah. Right, but But, the
3: the music is always good. What what is it? Sales of Chiron?
4: Sales of Chiron. That's off of... uh,
3: That's Uli.
2: Yeah, that's Uli Rock. Oh, we could could talk about the Scorpions all day. But we're we're talking
4: the 80s, we're talking definitive riffs, Rocky Like a Hurricane. Could have been number one. Could have been number one, but... We're just getting started on this list. Because yeah, because we're, we're now moving, moving into the top. We're into the top five now. This is, in fact, number. Number,
3: th- 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 number something <laughs> or something. We're on no, number. No, we're number four. Number four? No. Holy. Yeah, four. Yeah. Four. Sure. <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> we're not even drinking on this one. <laughs> All right, here we go. Number four.
2: All <laughs>
4: <laughs> indeed. <laughs> Bad one,
3: yeah. I've heard worse,
4: not bad, not bad. Who was that guy uh, playing guitar? Jakey Lee? No, that was
3: Randy Rhodes, Randy
4: Rhodes with the, the,
3: Rudy the, Sarzo on the bass, though. That's a very important part. That's another
4: 80s riff that we're gonna have to announce in advance. We're leaving off. There's no quiet riot making this uh, top 10. Nah, but, they don't
3: deserve to be on the top 10 of this list, what? but um, this just shows you how good the 80s were. That riff is number four on our list. Yeah, absolutely. And that means that we got some rockers coming up in 3, 2, 1. But, okay, man, Ozzy Osbourne, go ahead, talk.
4: Well, I mean, the thing about Ozzy Osbourne isn't so much Ozzy Osbourne, it's the musicians that he was he was surrounded by throughout his career. You know, but
3: especially on those first two albums, those
4: first, those first solo albums, I would even say I, I mentioned Jakey Lee and I Just,
3: love Jake.
4: But but you know, Bark at the Moon was a classic too.
3: Sure, and so it was uh, No More Tears with yeah. Zach.
4: Yeah, yeah. He always he he's a smart man. He plays. He pretends to be dumb, but he hates I'm, I'm her dumb. pretty
3: sure it's not him. I think it's his wife <laughs> doing all the hiring and firing. Well, and she's uh, good
4: job, Sharon.
3: Well, sure, but uh, okay. So the riff. You've got the classic all aboard. Yeah, you've got the classic dom 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 dom, and then you've and got, then the, you've the, got the, the Randy Rhodes coming in, and you know there's other riffs we, from this song we could have put the in. The guitar
4: there. solo part is amazing,
3: and also that uh, the uh, mental wounds not healing, <sings> the da, whole guitar da, da, part during da, that, da. Oh, you yeah. know, it was fantastic. So, uh, well,
4: it, yeah, I mean, again, what we're doing with these songs on our list is we're playing you just a snippet, but what we really mean is it's the whole song.
2: You know, or right. and there's,
3: there's time constraints on a podcast. There is. So which we generally we're introducing don't respect. you to the Rift <laughs> very <laughs> very rarely. But we're introducing you to the Riff. You can go to YouTube and listen to it or you can buy it. Support Ozzy. He needs the cash. He needs
4: the cash, yeah. Yeah,
3: he doesn't got much. Um, but yeah, oh my god, crazy train. That's another one of those Kennedy things. Yep. Where were you the first time you heard All Aboard?
4: Definitely the first time I heard this was well past when it was actually released. But, mm. I mean, absolutely, it was an instant classic. Sure. Uh, a staple of Q107 Toronto back in the day.
3: I think a staple of every single classic rock station yeah. Yeah, I'm to this now. day. And to yeah. this
4: day, people still get excited when they hear it. Yeah. Like bar or whatever.
3: And I remember a little band in uh, Daejeon, South Korea, trying to learn this one to we play. Learned we, we, we learned it. We learned it. Our singer couldn't do it. Believe it or not, really, Justin? Justin didn't how, sing it. how
4: dare you! I thought all this time it was Ken who was afraid to. It's a good
3: thing he uh, never listens. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I actually learned the guitar solo. He did? I remember playing months, it. I and, remember you uh, playing it. It was. I have a newfound appreciation for Randy Rhodes. I always liked him, but trying to learn his guitar solo is not an easy thing. Not an easy thing at all. Yeah. Not an easy thing. I and, love Ozzy,
4: and he's you know he's one of those lost heroes of the '80s. What could have been? What might have been had he not uh, died?
3: Well, the story was um, he was about to leave the band and become a classical guitar teacher. Really? Yeah, he was okay. about to get out of rock and roll. So um, That wouldn't have lasted. Again, eh? I don't think that pays as well. No, I don't think so. <laughs> and he's Randy Rhodes. He could have a gig anywhere, right? That's right. So maybe he was just tired of Sharon.
4: Could be, yeah. And let's face it, when you play with Ozzy Osbourne, you're playing for Ozzy Osbourne. That's right. Even if everybody's there to hear your guitar. So.
3: Well, he wrote all the songs. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love Randy Great stuff Here we go Great stuff Number three Now we're getting serious Oh, very serious
4: Not too shabby Not too shabby and just a little bit 1980s.
3: That's right on the cusp, <laughs> barely. Like, I think they recorded that in '79. It doesn't matter what it, like, an January intro. To, what an
4: intro to the decade, and it sounds as new and, and and refreshing today as it did back in the day.
3: Yeah, there's nothing better.
4: You know, I bought a ghetto blaster. Do
3: you remember the ghetto blasters? <laughs> I do remember the ghetto. I blasters. saved
4: up money from mowing lawns, and I bought a ghetto blaster. Many years after this album came out, the very first. Cassette. Do you remember a cassette? <laughs> the first cassette I bought... And the first I'm the same thing, age as you, dude. I know, but the first <laughs> one that came out of my ghetto blaster was Back in Black by ACDC. Is that right? That was the very first... And, was that and, the first
3: it, song on the album?
4: Um, no, the first one was Hell's Bells.
3: That's right. Yeah. I think it was like the first song on the second side of the Something, cassette. yeah. Remember but when that, they had sides?
4: Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> now, the beautiful thing about this, this song... And this is the first time we've done this on our top 10 countdowns for best riffs. This is a twofer. Yeah, there's not just because one riff. You've, you've got it. the riff at the beginning, and then you've got the riff after the guitar solo. Take a listen.
4: And don't worry, the drummer won't do any fills to confuse you. It's, it's all the same song. <laughs>
2: That
3: He's is, back in black.
4: Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Definitive, age defining rock and roll. Good for ACDC. They took three great chords and have made a great 50 year career out of it.
3: <laughs> I remember, you know, um, I remember seeing an interview with Angus Young, the guitar player, and the person said, You should be ashamed of yourself. You've made the same album 13 times. <laughs> and he said, I totally disagree with that. We've made 14 albums. That's right. (laughs) And he knows it, and whatever. He loves it. They do it. What did they sell? 60,000 seats a night, last time they toured?
4: Yep. Shame on anybody who says... ACDC just does the same thing over and over again And then shells out a hundred bucks to go see them in concert
3: Yeah, and you know what would happen If they did change, people would complain It'd It would be yeah. there awful
4: There would be riots in the street
3: Yeah, I think they sold out in Ottawa in like two seconds Sure, or why not?
4: Yeah. You know what you're getting with ACDC
3: Yeah, you know that's the fourth song If you... <laughs> <laughs> really, every time I've seen ACDC, Back in Black is the fourth song You
4: like medium rare steak with some potatoes Order yourself up some ACDC Yeah Leave the pesto pasta to the rich kids, man Yeah
3: they can go see somebody else that's not ACDC <laughs> Anyway, now, now we're
4: into the top three.
3: No, we're in the top two now. We only have two more.
4: Yeah! Wow. Time just flies, much like time did in the
3: 1980s. That's it? right. I totally forget that decade except for the music. But uh, yeah, top two. So here we go. This will be number two.
4: Number two. That song is number two.
3: <laughs> that shows you how good the '80s were.
4: That shows you how good the '80s were, and that whole album, um,
3: riff rock. I mean, I, and again, finish. we had a, we had another fist fight. Um, I lost this one. Yeah, uh, I was going for "Sweet Child of Mine," but then I realized it's not really a riff.
4: No, it's more. It's of a more a of a little melody. solo-y type thing. Yeah, um, but this one pure riff. And I don't, e- I don't even think that this is the best one on that album. But again, when you talk about the '80s, defining moments, defining moments, um, yeah, bright streaks of light, then it would have to be uh, "Welcome to the Jungle." Guns and Guns it was,
3: and it was also the first one that came out. It was yeah. the first Guns N' Roses yep. song anyone ever heard. Yep. So, yep. you know, yeah, yeah. I saw these guys too, open for number. Who the heck was Iron Maiden? Well, I remember was Iron number or something. Yeah. yeah, I saw these guys open for Iron Maiden, and you're talking about a bad lineup. Yeah, that was a terrible. I actually spill. helped.
4: I actually helped boo Guns N' Roses off the stage in Toronto when they opened up for the Cult, yeah. and you know the Cult <laughs> is another band we could have put in the top eighties,
3: sure, because they had some beauties. She sells Sanctuary,
4: but there are no Guns N' Roses. But at the time, nobody knew who Guns N' Roses were, at least in Canada. They opened up for the cult and everybody thought they were a bunch of losers and threw tennis balls and tomatoes at them. Adam. I think one of my
3: cokes might have hit Axel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and plus <laughs> no, I didn't throw anything at Axel. That was Tom Cochran. <laughs> <laughs> I did hit Tom Cochran. Now, with normally, I would
4: say bottle. it's a terrible thing to throw things at at musicians, but you know, Axel over the years a, has proven himself to be worthy of uh,
3: at least one or at two least cokes. One
4: or two. I think people. Somebody was telling me that they're people are throwing things at him on this tour just to get a rise out of him. It has nothing to do with Was oh, Is that good. right? That's what I heard. People are 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 trying to uh, bring out the beast. Well, you know,
3: and uh you know I'm always trying to get our podcast better with bigger stars, so I'm gonna throw this out there and hope that one of the guns listens to this. You're playing in Ottawa in August. I will be there. Let's chat.
4: Absolutely. I
3: want Duff. Duff. I like Duff
4: Duff's the coolest
3: Duff had a beer named after him On The Simpsons That's right And
4: he played bass And
3: he died like four times <laughs> Right <laughs> And he's he's still around And he's still kicking ass And I love Duff
4: and, and a big part of all those riffs I mean Izzy and Slash are the guitar heroes They brought their own flavor And taste to uh, the Guns N' Roses
3: I student. miss Izzy he was, he was awesome Izzy wrote all those songs Yeah,
4: yeah. He, And he was the first one Out of that dysfunctional family
3: he made a good choice and a bad choice, really. Yeah. Like he got out of the dysfunction, but he lost a lot of money. I think. So. I think he's still making a ton of cash off. Well, off this album, and I think yeah. he wrote half the songs on the next one too. Really? Just didn't I, play on. Them. Yeah. I don't know. I love Guns N' Roses, but and um, Appetite
4: for Destruction, regardless of your musical taste, is one uh, one of those monster once in a generation. It albums. crossed
3: genres. Yep. Yeah, it and, really did.
4: And, and Guns N' Roses, along with, I would say, Jane's Addiction, breathed a bit of life back into the, the guitar rock genre, which was getting a little stale.
3: I still, you know, I still consider Guns N' Roses a punk band. Yep. That At is. least this album. I think they got a little polished on Use Your Illusion, but this album I really consider a punk album with more than three chords. With
4: excellent musicianship,
3: yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. I love Guns N' Roses. What an album. And, I like that. and remember
4: this is only number two what could possibly be number one Ken I, why I, don't why don't
3: we take a listen James I, I
4: don't think we can get any more wrong <clears> hint James I think we might just have to move to number one of the
3: 1980s and I would even go so far as to, for me this might be number one of of all I, time oh, oh, pff, 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 Yes, for me. <laughs> for me, this is probably one of my top three songs of all time, and the riffs are. And you, you put a t- bracket around that riff, bracket, S. That's right. Um, this song is just Riff Master God.
4: What could it possibly be? Here we go Exhibit A, Your Honor. I confer Exhibit B on Your Honor. I now call upon the witness, rock and roll. There's plenty of more evidence to present, Your Honor, but this could go on like many Metallica songs as long as the Nuremberg Trials. I rest my case, Your Honor.
3: Yeah, guilty as charged. The gr- greatest riff of all time. Well, riff, well riff. riffs.
4: Riffs, uh, perhaps the greatest riff band of all time. I mean, they redefined the art of the riff.
3: We had another fist fight, and we didn't know whether to put these guys in the 80s or the 90s. Oh, master. We didn't know whether to put these guys in the uh, 80s or 90s, because Enter Sandman was 90s. Yep. I think this
4: is way more exciting, though.
3: I agree, and yeah. but we also could have put... Uh, oh, wow. could have put that, that one was, in, too. That was pretty good timing. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we, we could have put Seek and Destroy. You could have put Whiplash. You could have put Fade to Black. You could have put... Creeping death. You could have put. Oh my god! Just the list, the goes, list on. goes on. And oh, geez, there he is again. I um. <laughs> and I guess we should tell you. We just saw these guys about what a week and a half ago. A Week and a half ago, yeah. And so. Uh,
4: oh, mind mind blowing. They, they were
3: fantastic live.
4: They were the masters of their craft, yeah. and I and I plead guilty because I never really appreciated these guys back in the day, and there's still a lot of their music that I'm, I'm not totally sold on, but uh, this era, Metallica, is is incredible. And in terms of 1980s riffs, goodness gracious, this does the job for me.
3: You know, and also, um, there's one we forgot. Hang on one sec.
4: Not bad. Yeah, I'm sorry. Not bad at all. And that is the number one riff of the 1980s.
3: That is the number one riff of all time. And a riff sook. When we get around
4: time. to doing our, our top riffs in history, going back to the Roman Empire, uh, I'm sure we we may revisit some Metallica at that time.
3: Number one. <laughs> number one. I remember seeing uh, Metallica open for Ozzy. How did that go? How many times have I said somebody opened for somebody and now they're superstars? That's a sign of a good riff. But here's the
4: other thing. Everybody else, you said it went like shit.
3: Yeah, well, this one went like shit, too. Really? For Ozzy. For Ozzy, exactly, yeah. (laughs) Everybody left after Metallica played their 30 minutes and just said, Well, I I remember hearing people in the audience say, Can't top that. Yeah. And walking out and Ozzy was only half full.
4: And you probably heard Ozzy in the back going, Why did we agree to have these guys open up for us?"
3: Because they... They still sold the tickets. They still sold
4: the tickets. True. Yeah. You
3: know they, and then I, I saw them again opening for Van Halen and the Scorpions <laughs> on the Monsters of Rock tour, and it was they were like the second band. Yeah. And I was like, what? Yeah. Oh my God, they're fantastic. I've seen them a bajillion times, and if they're listening, I want. We them. would love to talk to you,
4: Metallica. Yeah.
3: I want. Actually, you know what? And we talked about this uh, after the show. Robert, the bass player, is an absolute. Absolutely. And I never really knew that because I've seen him twice with Robert, and uh, the other time I was nowhere near Robert. Sure. I was on Kirk's side. Yeah. This time I was on Robert's side, and I had no idea he was that good. Yeah. And I'm not just talking stage presence. That was great as well, but his bass playing was unreal.
4: And I think for me, as somebody who back in the 80s and into the 90s, never really truly got into Metallica, was because they seemed so... The, the bass was always buried in all their songs. There wasn't that meaty low end.
3: Yeah, well, there was at the beginning The of very beginning of Cliff. Cliff Burton, right? Yeah. But
4: I, I never really understood that. Seeing them in Seoul last week, and hearing everything, it all sort of came together for me, and I realized... Uh, I understood their, their huge appeal. To uh, rock and roll audiences.
3: Yeah, and you know, all these riffs are basically from the rhythm guitar player, usually. And I will... This is a bold statement. Um, This is a bold, bold statement, but I will go down and say this. James Hetfield is the greatest rhythm guitar player of all time.
4: And he's not just saying that so that you'll agree to appear on this podcast, James. He really believes it. I've, I've been I saying have, that since before I, I, I've, I've had this podcast. I have drank many a beer with Ken Van and and heard that statement uh,
2: unabashedly
4: come from his mouth. So.
3: The greatest right hand in the history of rock and roll. There you go. Yep. There you go. All right, everybody. That's our top ten. We'll be back later with the top ten 90s riffs.
4: Which may be... As difficult as the 80s, but probably not
3: because the 80s, was a, that was a bitch. Yeah, who's in the 90s? Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Alice.
4: Tune in and find
3: out and let you know.
4: if uh, you disagree with these uh, top 10 choices, which we hope you do, please let us know. Look us up. Let us know what we missed. Yeah, let us know what you think sh- would be the top 10 defining representative riff of the 1980s. Um, we'd love to hear from you and thanks for listening.
3: Alright, take care.
2: Master! Master!